From the Brooklyn Paper Studios in beautiful downtown Brooklyn, this is Brooklyn Paper Radio. Yes, I'm your host, Vince Dimisay. I'm working the board today, Tom. You look a lot like Jimmy. I'm very or confused. Johnny. Like, or... I gotta, wait, see, I'm fading? That's me fading. Can there you hear goes. me? I can hear you can loud I be and heard? clear. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to check. Wait, I got to check the levels. Levels look Mic good. check. Now I'm going to check my headphone level. I think this is me. Wow, is that work, me? Work those knobs or is that somebody? Like, uh, is that, is that, that's me here. These are my headphones. A master pianist working the ivories on a piano. I took piano lessons for a very short period of time as a child. Well, they certainly paid off. Yes. <laughs> you should tell your instructor. Yeah, it if was. If she's listening. I don't know what happened to her. She <laughs> moved away. I think she moved to Jersey. That's what happened to everyone where I grew up. They they ended up it's moving to Jersey. It was very sad. Very, it was very sad. terrible. I'm gonna I'm gonna do one more thing. Wait, can I take this? Oh, look, I can move the microphone with me. Wow. Oh my. Oh gosh. yeah, I did it. That's it. We don't need. That's it. Two oh, wow, weeks this is away, so, and we're this already is so innovating. Easy. Why do we bother with a with a control board guy? I think we just saved this company a ton of money. We did. Hopefully, which can be reinvested in our salaries. Who needs Jimmy or Johnny or anyone for that matter? Exactly. Wow. So, Just, listen, we've been away for two weeks. It Tom. feels like two lifetimes. Oh, by the way, I spoke to Ruth Ruth uh, Brown yesterday. Remember Ruth? I saw her. Yeah. She came in. She came in and said hi to me. She dropped off those very valuable, very rare editions of, of the, the, the New, New York, York Post. Post. Oh, yeah. They had a very special edition. Which we couldn't get our hands on. I have one copy of. that I'm saving. And I have one of your copies that I'm saying. I know. I made a terrible mistake. This reminds me of the time when I was a kid. Um, Bump Wills was, I think his name was Bump Wills. He was a, uh, it was like 1977, 78. Yeah. His Topps baseball card oh, sure. was a misprint, uh. and it was worth a lot of money. And apparently I had like three or four of them in all of my uh, baseball card packs, and I traded all of them for a New York Yankees team card, which I didn't worth have. Worth no money. Yeah, by some shyster down the block. No way. Yeah, shyster. You got bumped. Yeah, that's what happened to me yesterday. You came into my office like a shyster. (laughs) I explained my reasoning. And you, well, you did, but I I wasn't clear that they were, it was not clear that these were collector's editions. A collector's edition is in the eye of the collector. Listen, the point is, Ruth Brown came into the office yesterday, and she was telling me that she listens to the show, loves the show, but she always just fast forwards past this part at the beginning. That's the rudest compliment I've ever received. I know, right? She loves the show but doesn't care about... The she's banter? like, just get to the guests. If you're going to have State Senator Martin Delon on the show, just get to the guest. She's like, why do, why do we bother having these little conversations about ourselves? Which made me wonder... Did she ever listen to the show in its earlier era? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't... Well, I guess she did. But why do we do it? Why do we talk about ourselves so much? I... I thought it was because, A, it was a time-honored tradition, you know, started before I took the mic on Brooklyn Paper Radio, but also because sometimes people are as interested in the people making the, you know, publishing the news as the news itself. I'm looking at this recording, and now I'm, I'm afraid. I am. I'm afraid. I'm going to turn you up a little. Hold on. Say something again. I'm here. Say it again. We're in America's downtown. Yeah, now I feel like a little bit better. Am I am I registering? I'm worried about how this is sounding out there, but listen, I can't really get into it. It's sounding great in my earphones, and they say that I'm louder than everyone else. That's what I was told. I was told to be wary, be wary of that. You're you've had more time with these microphones. Where did you go on vacation? Um, I went, you know, just across the river to Italy. Oh, across the pond. um, Across the pond, Uh as they say. To the Amalfi Coast, oh, I love it. where I spent several days sitting in the sun, stuffing my face with pasta, and dreaming of life in Brooklyn, but not missing it that much. No, I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't miss it when you're there. When yeah. I go to Italy, where I'm from, uh, allegedly, yeah. I know that's what they tell me. You look Italian. I say, why did they ever leave? That's what I wondered about my ancestors the minute I got there. Yeah, it, seemed, felt it seemed very nice. You know, if we could change the change the course of history, yeah. But I guess I could I be guess doing so. that every day of my life. I don't know. The times must have been tough. Time. I would, I would, I trust that they made the right. And decision. they say that the the streets of America were paved with gold. I'm still mining. For yeah, it. I don't know. I haven't found that. What about you? I was in. Uh, I went down to uh, Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, yeah, I went down Colonial south. Colonial Williamsburg. Colonial Williamsburg. Not to be confused with. 
Hip Williamsburg, Hips William, which our guest rep- knows a lot about, represented by state se- in the state senate by uh, state senator Martin Delon, who's who's right next to me. By the way, you want to say hello? Hello, how are you? Oh, there he is. Hey, we've got him here, but we're going to tease him a little bit longer before Uh-oh. we let listeners like Ruth Brown get right to the you know the heat of the episode. We should at the beginning of the episode just say the point in the in the podcast where we get to the where we get to the guest, and that way they could just fast forward right to that. Yeah, they could. And they could just ignore all this gibberish. Ten minute, ten thirty-seven, folks. There it is. Is that the number? We want to go on and on for ten thirty-seven. That's that was it. Just throwing it out there. So I was in Colonial Williamsburg for a week there, and uh, we got this package. Very nice deal. In case you guys are interested, very nice deal for one hundred fifty dollars a person. You could go from park to park to park. All week long. How many parks are down there? Well, there's the uh, obviously there's Colonial Williamsburg. Sure. So we have entrance into that and all the wonderful things that they have. You could find out how. A uh, you know an 18th century tailor you know did his job sure quite interesting yeah I mean you know and then there's uh, so that's the Colonial Williamsburg part of it then you could bounce to uh, Bush Gardens okay which is the amuse the amusement park which which they bill as America's most beautiful theme park interesting and you know what the themes are at Bush Garden roller coasters um no oh like it's sectioned into themes yeah it's sectioned into countries. So you go from country to country to country. But one country was New France, which turned out to be Canada. Interesting. Yeah, I figured that out. I, I, it's, I, I lose. There's something incongruous about America's most beautiful theme park that's separated into foreign countries. Foreign countries, yeah. There's no America. There's no America at Busch Gardens. It, it, it's lost <laughs> me, but it's also won me. I, I must <laughs> see this. <laughs> it's so terrible, I can't look away. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's the Water Country USA, which was billed as Virginia's biggest water park. Huh. That was about A lot it. of superlatives. My son was very interested in the, um, in, in the fact that, that uh, Bush Gardens was... He's like, I says, oh, look, it says here that it's America's most beautiful uh, theme park. And my son says, according to who? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he's 11. He's like, according He's to a who? tough cookie. Bu- the people at Bush, the president of Bush Gardens? Right. <laughs> That's what he wanted to know. According to Bush Gardens. Yeah. We say that we are the most beautiful, and there's no doubt about it. I like how he's keeping theme park, big theme park honest. Well, I was very proud of him. He went on a lot of rides. He sounds like, like your son. He yes, went on, he went on a lot of rides. He went on a lot of rides, which was great. He developed his courage. Which yes. It's very important. I know people my age who still won't step foot on a roller coaster. Then he tried to convince my wife to go on the roller coaster that he finally got the courage to go on. And when she wouldn't go on it, he said to her, Ma, I'm not upset that you won't go on the ride. I'm upset that you don't trust me when I tell you that it's safe. Whoa. Yeah, you imagine that? That cuts right to the heart of the matter. It does. Did she get on? Yeah, she did. <laughs> and she, she loved it. She absolutely See? loved it. Eleven-year-olds so. sometimes know what's, what's they do. Best. They, I'm going to see him in at three thirty. I got to pick him up. By the way, so which we got to get out of here. Which means time's up. Without further ado, yes, time's up. Why don't you introduce the uh, the state senator for us today? Yeah, Tony, no, I'm I'm excited because not only is he a longtime Brooklyn lawmaker, but he happens to represent the district that I live in. Um, so he is your state senator. He is my sitting state senator, mm-hmm. uh, New York's 18th Senate District. And let's, uh, let's make this clear to our, our listeners out there what the state Senate is. The state Senate is the upper house in Albany that works a, a, alongside the assembly under the governor. That's right. Um, so it's just like the And when you get elected to a state Senate seat, you get a, it's a two-year term, I think. Two-year term. It's a short little two-year term. But as our guest can attest, they must pass by in the blink of an eye because he's running for his ninth. Ninth. So that means ninth. 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 Um, and and so yeah. that means you've been in office since like two thousand three. Yes, sir. Wow. There you go. And it feels like yesterday. I w- I can only imagine. But it just it, it feels like it, I remember two thousand three. <laughs> And it feels like yesterday for me as well. I, I can attest to that. There's no doubt. I mean, I, I, I will say it, it may feel like it, but and I've only lived in Bushwick for going on three years now, so I'm, I'm a very much a newcomer. But it certainly doesn't look like it, even in those three years that I've lived there. The neighborhood has changed so much visually because of, you know, a lot of construction and, and you know, so-called gentrification and whatnot. So-called. Um, or just gentrification. Or actual. Um <laughs> And you know, I, 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 every time there's an election, you know, there's always a time for something or other. But I'd love to hear from 
from the man himself, you know, what are some of the issues that you're pushing, you know, and you're reminding voters to be aware of as they go to the ballots and, you know, as, as you try to, to get them to turn out for yourself this fall? Well, thank you. First of all, I'm happy to be here uh, today and happy you guys had me come over and so I could speak for myself and talk to my constituents in the 18. But um, obviously the L-Train is a big issue that we've been working on for years and um, we've been trying to keep the MTA's uh, feet to the fire in terms of making sure that they're transparent and that they're proactive in terms of mitigation plans as to the closure of the L-Train next April. Just this weekend, we had the first weekend where the L-Train right. was not working, so it was basically a test run and for them to set up the infrastructure. And some people were a little caught off guard, I think, by that, you know, the announcement of that weekend um, because it only came sort of through a trickle over the past couple of weeks. Did you feel like that was handled appropriately? or I feel that the MTA could have done a better job in terms of advance notice. Um, I've been working with the MTA, and to this point, I felt that they are doing an awesome job in terms of engaging the community. They held about five, six hearings throughout Brooklyn and Manhattan, and they tried to have uh, presentations as to what's going to happen and let people know. Um, but I think they could have been more leadway times because now they just surprised everyone. Yeah, this <laughs> this one kind of came out of nowhere, right? Yeah. We didn't we were unaware of it, right? I, right? It was it was pretty silent. I mean, their official re reveal, if I recall correctly, was on a Saturday, which is you know usually a day when you know you, maybe you don't make a big announcement. Um, <laughs> they had started presenting it, f from what I recall, to community boards and you know elected officials such as yourself, earlier this summer, um, but I think the agency did kind of botch the reveal. I was away last week, so this closure is, what are they doing? Oh, just closing on the weekends? Uh, uh, for the next 14 weekends, they'll be closed, so it's a total of 15 weekends leading up to April. All weekend yeah. long? Yeah. And, and this is to set up what they're doing in April? Yes, sir. More or less, yeah. Oh and um, and the, 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 the slight difference about these closures, which is even more frustrating, I think, for locals, is, is that the trains the train will not run in Brooklyn for the for at least half of its length. It doesn't run from, I think Myrtle Wyckoff Avenue, or Broadway Junction, one of the two stops to to Bedford. But it will run in Brooklyn when it shuts down next year. Yes, for the weekends uh, it will not run uh, from Broadway Junction Broadway to Junction. Bedford. Uh, once it's uh, officially closed for the project starting in April. Uh, there's a misunderstanding out there that the entire L train is going to close. That is not the case. It will be running in its entirety uh, in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn, yes. In Brooklyn, Manhattan. It's going to become the Brooklyn local again. We're going to have another Brooklyn local. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, um, the concerns are obvious that the economic impact it's going to have on local businesses um, and... and, and um, the other issue that the MTA has had is we've been calling for clean energy buses to go over the yeah. Williamsburg Bridge, and we're not sure that the MTA is listening there. We've been pressuring them. I have written to the governor's office in terms of getting more clean energy buses because I believe it's 80 buses that will be going over uh, the bridge back and forth each day. Each day. Yeah. And uh, we can't have that. We have to have clean energy to avoid pollution. Well, I actually took, um, I take the B-38 bus to get from my house to this office down to Calb Avenue, and, right. and the other day, one of the new clean energy buses picked me up. I didn't, I wasn't aware that they were already traveling in, in our neck of the woods, uh, but it was actually, it was a nice ride. How is it different than a, than a regular bus? Um, it was quieter, which oh, I yeah. think is, you it's know. Not, it's not electric, though, is it? I think they're part electric. Part yeah. electric. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they charge. They're, I, there are charging. There's a charging station in the Williamsburg Bridge Plaza bus hub, sort of right at the foot of the bridge um, in Williamsburg, and I don't know if that's where this bus charges or what. But they they charge it above, like the charger comes from above, I think, uh -huh. and, and powers you know 
connects to the roof of the bus. Somehow. Really? I believe so from looking at the infrastructure. Wow. And um, they can charge it up? How quickly does it take to charge? That I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Because usually when they have gas and or diesel and, 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 um, and electric, it, it switches back and forth between the two as necessary. Yeah, you know? I think it's some sort of hybrid, you know, it's a not hybrid like system. A fully electric. Okay. I, don't quote me. So you've been on that bus. Anyway. And that's what you're looking for to get you over the, over the uh, Williamsburg Bridge. That's what the Bridge. center, yeah, was saying. You know, we into, need more of. Yeah, into and we've heard that from others. Into Manhattan. Well, you know, they have the uh, L-Line uh, Coalition. That's a group of residents mm-hmm. in Greenpoint, Williamsburg, and business owners that we've been meeting basically on a on a weekly basis, and uh, the MTA has been paying attention to them. So we're trying to engage the community as much as possible. But did you know about this closure that that they just announced? This weekend? Yeah, how did you find out about it? Uh, Same way everyone else found out. Uh, There was no advance warning. So they didn't let you know. Well, I'm glad we're having those meetings. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you know. Listen. It can't be an alpocalypse. You know what I I say the whole, you know, all the time. You, you live in the city. Yeah, you've got There's infrastructure improvement. It's gonna, it, it's gonna happen. You know, things are gonna happen. The, the key for the city is to make sure everybody knows about it. And in this case, the state, which, which pretty much runs the MTA. People so. get mad either way, but it's nice to have advance notice of what you're gonna get mad about. Well, I think that's part of the problem. They don't like to release the information because they—they're worried because they don't want to get people angry and yelling and screaming. But it's going to happen. I think you just got to be reasonable about this. You know, I think I'm I'm pretty reasonable about it, Tone. Right? I I mean, first of all, I don't think we need a connection to Manhattan at all. We should just do everything here in Brooklyn. They should just move those jobs to Brooklyn. Bring them on. Bring them here. We got plenty of space here. Beautiful Metro Tech. Still waiting to hear if we win that Amazon bid. We're working on that, right? I, I, I trust when when the borough president comes in here next week, that's our first question on the list. Yeah, that was my greatest time was when I when I lived in uh, off Court Street and walked to work every day. Yeah, walked to work. I walked to Twenty Six Court Street every day. It was wonderful. I mean, it's I stopped at the Miko Coffee. It's a great place to walk around down here. It was when it was nice out. When it was cold, every once in a while I would take a cab too. Yeah, big spender. <laughs> I prefer. Uh, I treat myself to cabs now, now and again. But they were much less expensive back then, and it was two of us. It was me and my wife, so we would go together. So you split the fare. You know, it's a lot cheaper when you have two people. That's a ca- a cab yeah. worked out back then. Now it's it's not the same. Now is, is Uber going to help you guys out in uh, in Williamsburg when this happens? And Uber and Lyft, or has the uh, mayor put the kibosh on that? with, his, with the, by limiting the amount of cars, what do you think? Well, uh, you know, I, that was the city council's action, and of course the mayor is with it. Yeah, I think Uber and Lyft has been uh, good for Brooklyn and for the nightlife, as we know, Councilman Espinal. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they're looking for the night mayor and yeah. nightlife and. Uh, I think it's important. So Uber, Lyft are good for the community in terms of getting people home safely after a few drinks at night. Mm-hmm. But uh, whether they're going to be part of the mitigation plan is another thing because there have been no direct conversations with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and perhaps that's uh, another avenue that could be looked into by the L-Train Coalition and other community members. Yeah, Uber, I mean, I have to say, you don't see it. A ton of the green cabs mm-hmm. in in my neck of Bushwick. I mean, every now and again, but it is easy. It, you know, Uber is convenient out there. I mean, so I understand the need to sort of help or, you know control all of the different aspects of the industry. But well, there's, there's, a, there's a demand. This, there's a demand. There's a lot of cars, though. They say. I don't know. Can I ask a question? Absolutely. Where you live, uh, the um, the M train was closed for quite a while. A long and, and, time, and that was a, a like a prelude uh, to the closure of the L train. So, you know, what was your experience? Because I know there was a lot of interaction where they had to move uh, residents out of their home for several months. And you know, what was your experience? Did you use the M train? Who uses the M train? Well, I I I did through par- through part of that closure, I believe, because I was working. I had a job before this job, which I won't speak about because it doesn't matter <laughs> but it was in manhattan oh man so m I is in manhattan dream m, yeah so i did take the m um the the main thing i remember about that project and and you'll see why it sticks out in a, in a few seconds when i say it is that it actually finished on time 
you know, I remember seeing signs that it would finish in April of 2018, um, which was just earlier this spring. And I and I vividly remember walking back from the grocery store that I go to near the Myrtle White or Myrtle Broadway subway station, and seeing the M train snake along its its original route. And it was like the end of April, and I and I thought to myself, this can't be right. Like, there's no way they finished this on time, you mm -hmm. know, because you're just used to transit projects. So you don't have the confidence in the system that it can get things done on time. I didn't, but now I have a modicum more of it. Well, they, a little um, bit. A, a, a wee bit. Yeah. Um, you know, but, uh, but to be completely honest, as Vince said, Senator, I don't take the subway as much as I think a lot of other people. So I'm not, like... I'm not on the platform every day now when I've heard that some people that, you know, the J and the M that people are already feeling a little, um, you know, sardine like when they're getting on those trains because of people taking advanced precautionary measures to move closer from the L. So, you know, and I don't know if, if you're hearing that from constituents too, that they're moving a little further South in the neighborhood to just get away from, from from the L train, but you know, are you hearing, are you hearing that you know from from developers or, or landlords or business owners that you know the the push is to really low you know migrate what ten or twelve blocks south? Well, I'm hearing more from business owners and local residents out in Williamsburg, uh, Greenpoint, that they're concerned what the impact is going to be, and people are trying to learn alternative routes. Uh, you know, the, the water taxi and uh, different methods of, of mm. getting back yeah, and forth to Manhattan. Now, earlier, you know, I welcome the people who come to Manhattan and spend their money here <laughs> in the 18th Senatorial uh -huh. District. So, uh, you know... And, and oh, so, wait, it works both ways. Works both I ways. thought it was just people going to Manhattan, but apparently people from Manhattan come to Williamsburg. Yes. So, I didn't think of that. I'm, I'm, I'm coming around on this. Just like people from Williamsburg. Maybe we do need that train. Yeah, so that's... that's the concern of, of the local folks, you know, yeah. and, and people could possibly lose their jobs as a result. But, you know, the L train, the M train, transportation is one thing, but there are other issues like the housing issue, yeah. like the gentrification issue, and um, the impact that it's having on people who have been longtime residents in the 18th senatorial districts. And those are concerns that I have. And have been trying to address for many years. So right now, I know that um, up in Albany, there's a, a bill or there's legislation, and please correct me when I make a mistake, that that is could possibly sort of rip protections out of, a, out of the loft law that sort of help tenants who live in lofts not get scammed by their landlords. Well, there's a bill that I have in... Right. in, in Albany with respect to an amendment of the loft law, which I passed the last amendment in 2010 when we were in the majority. Uh, and this part of the amendment has to deal with the issues of windows and in, in certain units that, according to the loft law, are illegal. So uh, that what that bill would do is to make these units legal so these residents do not get evicted. And they lobbied uh, from January to the end of June. Uh, we came very close to passing it, but we're not in the majority, and the majority in the Senate uh, blocked it when they did an omnibus bill and put everything and lumped it together. And they had hopes of passing it, so we did we. But once we're in the majority in January, I'm sure that that will move very quickly to protect these tenants. So your legislation, right now, right now, there are certain units within loft buildings that don't count as uh, official, you know, units for occupancy. Yes, and it would also extend um, the application period of people making their units uh, legal where they did not apply under the last bill. So this would open up a window where people can apply to make their units also. Uh, legal, so we've been working on that, and I'm sure that when we in the majority, it will pass. Ultimately, it would bring more housing to the market if if it passes. Yes, got it. Hmm. Yeah, which which is a big, um, you know, it's a big issue in in our your district. I feel like some of the most developing neighborhoods are up there. 
Um, and and you know another another thing I notice is is it's a very as far as age it's it spans a lot of generations. You know there are a lot of people like myself and and other young you know, newcomers to the district who are moving there maybe for their first time or have been there for a few years, but there are a lot of people who've lived there forever. How do you speak to both of those constituencies? Because I would imagine they both maybe want very different things for their neighborhoods. Well, you know, I move around the district quite often and um, I've tried to engage new people who have moved into the district. Um, initially, many of them are not interested in what's going on into, into the community. I guess they're trying to get their own situation and they're working their home together. So I've been doing it one-on-one -on -one with indiv individuals. And when I meet people, they understand the work that I have done, what I intend to do moving forward, and there's a good communication. But uh, just now, I, I feel that, you know, Time has passed, and, and they are realizing the entire community, and some of them have started getting involved in the community board, or they started getting engaged in what's going on overall community and what's in store in, in the future. So to me, that's a good sign. Um, in terms of the people that have li there, lived there forever, I would like for them to stay. Over the course of years, we have brought new affordable housing from the Housing State Trust Fund into the district. And the good part of that is that 50% of the units are preferential treatment for people that live in the zip codes of the 18th Senatorial or Bushwick or Williamsburg. But the other 50% goes to the whole city of New York. So you're constantly getting uh, new people in the district. The most stable uh, part of the district uh, with less mobility uh, is New York City Housing Authority. The 18th Senatorial has 22 different housing uh, developments in it. Wow. And, and uh, so you can understand the gravity of the problem. And, and many people uh, are nervous that they're being priced out as more people moved into the district. Yeah, well that's also, I didn't realize there were that many housing authority complexes. That's a huge chunk. Yes. Considering everything that you know has plagued those buildings over the past couple well, of years. That was my reward because I was, uh, uh, at the time, uh, I represented the Democratic Conference in the redistricting committee. So basically, I'm the spokesperson for the entire conference. And I was very loud and vocal in terms of the gerrymandering uh, that has historically occurred in redistricting. And uh, my reward was to get the 22 housing development units in my district, I, I feel that it was not a punishment for me because, uh, like I said, those are the most stable individual. The only challenge there is that New York City Housing Authority itself is mismanaged starting from the board all the way down to building management and maintenance of the buildings. Yeah, it, it, you know, I feel like we could spend two shows <laughs> going into yeah. the, the NYCHA situation. But I, I... I wanted to... I just wanted to get back to something that you mentioned twice there uh, in, in, the, in the past few minutes. You said that the, when the Democrats control the Senate... Now, I know a little bit about uh, state politics, having covered them for about 20 years. Um, historically, in, in, New York, in New York State, the Senate is controlled by the Republicans and the... Uh, Assembly is controlled by the uh, by the Democrats. That's pretty much been the case for my entire time covering Brooklyn. There was a slight, there was a short period where the Democrats controlled both, and then of course there was the uh, the was it the gang of how many that were vo four. Were, were voting with uh, yeah it was a gang of four was it? Our guest was saying yes. four, so I, I saw was the four. The I four. cheated. All right, there you go. <laughs> nice work. And uh, where um, they voted. They uh, caucused with the with the Republicans, this basically for the IDC. Well, uh, uh, that that particular group did caucus with the Democratic Conference, and we were in the majority yeah. until two members of that group decided to do the coup. I believe it was June 9th of two thousand nine. I think it was where uh, two members uh, decided to vote with. The Republicans, so there was a coup, 
uh, for a while. And two Democrats. Two yeah. Democrats. And now we're down uh, to one. Uh, yes. So this is where. So you guys. So that preceded the IDC. Uh. IDC actually caucused in a coalition sort of government form with the Republicans and basically giving them control of the House for, uh, since then. Right. So now what's what's the status now? Who's Who has the most members? Actually, uh, there are 32 Democrats yep. and 31 Republicans. However, we have a state senator from Brooklyn, South Brooklyn, who actually caucuses with the Republicans. And that is... Mr. Felder. There you go. Senator Felder. Yes. So you you said uh, on two uh, you said on two occasions when you guys get the house back. So I guess your intention is is to somehow win the house back in the next in the next election. Correct? That is correct. Um, you know, all, all conversations that I hear is that we will be in the majority come uh, January and I as a member of the state senate and someone has been involved would like to be part of that majority so we can continue our agenda and finish the unfinished items so that we have out there. What who who's out? Who 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 are who are the Democrats targeting? What seats are they targeting and, and who's gonna make that flip happen? Well there are there are some vacant seats uh upstate New York, uh mm. in, in the Hudson Valley, uh so just vacancies. Th- there's a couple of vacant seats but there are also some Long Island seats that we're targeting. Uh-huh. Um, uh, where we in the past have had um, members there out in uh, Suffolk County, Nassau County, and uh, Hudson Valley. and Anything and in Brooklyn? In Brooklyn, we have only one uh, <laughs> Republican state senator, <laughs> and uh, we do have... You see where I'm going with yes, this. Yes, I see where you're going. <laughs> but we do have... Uh, there is a primary there. We are supporting a candidate in that seat, and... Hopefully, that's uh, the Marty Golden seat. Yeah, yeah. The, hopefully the yes. blue wave can reach all the way down to South Ma- Brooklyn. Max Rose is the uh, Max Rose is the candidate. Democratic. Well, no, there's no, candidate. there is no, there hasn't been a, there hasn't been a primary yet. Well, you have oh, that's Congress, right? That's Dan Donovan. Yeah, that's Donovan's seat. Yeah. Yeah, the, there is there is a, a Democratic primary uh, for. Yes. Oh, that's uh, September thirteenth. Ross Barkin. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So uh, we will have a candidate there in. Uh, um, realistically, uh, the resources of the Democratic State Senate Committee has to be targeted in areas that we really believe that we could win. Sure. If there's a poll in that seat and, and it looks like we could possibly win it, well, then uh, resources will be retargeted before November. Sense. Resources will be retargeted. I'm just thinking about the Hudson Valley seat. That's my stomping ground. That's where you grew up. Yeah, so. That's the Senator Larkin seat who's retiring. Mm. And there's a young assemblyman there who in the past had thought about running uh, for the seat but stepped out. And I think he has a very good shot picking that seat up for the And Democrats. that's a Democratic assemblyman. Yes, sir. Mm. There you go. So now you also have a, uh, a, de- a challenger. Uh, in the race for uh, there's going to be a primary coming up, weirdly on a Thursday. Thursday primary. Thursday primary usually around Tuesdays. Whose so idea was that, by the way? Well, I, uh, there's two reasons for that. First of all, it would have been uh, the anniversary of 9/11 ah. on Tuesday, and secondly, uh, there are Jewish holidays on Tuesday. Uh, uh, yeah, or just before that, during that period. Got it. So to accommodate both situations, the legislature voted to have the primary on the 13th. So pe- there could be greater participation. Can't vote on Shabbos. No. You can't. I've been telling you that. I think, yeah. <laughs> I never have. And I don't even practice. Um, All right, so they, moved it, so they moved it to a Thursday. Now, your challenger, I, your challenger is, wait, do I have my notes here? I do. Oh, Julia Salazar. She was on the show. We actually had her on the show a couple of weeks ago because she we thought it would be interesting. Because she's running as a hardcore socialist. Is that fair to say, Tony? I, I would say a hardcore democratic socialist. A hardcore democratic socialist. I had a lot of questions about socialism and how it works and all that stuff when she was on the show. Yeah, and I heard what your son thinks about it, too. So <laughs> 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 He did. That's right. He was involved yeah, in that he conversation. Has, he ha- his son has 
an opinion and something to say about everything, usually the correct thing to say. So now there's we, we were talking about the, the, uh, the, the blue wave that could run through Brooklyn, but is there a kind of socialist wave that's happening now? Because we, we saw a, a, somebody, a, a big-time uh, Queens guy lose his seat to uh, a, a Democratic socialist. Is this something that you're worried about? Well, um, I say fortunate for me. I've had a primary, I believe, the last five cycles. Right. Mm-hmm. So people in my district one accustomed to seeing me in the district. They're accustomed to voting for me in in the primaries. Unlike uh, the congressman, I believe it's the 14th congressional district. Yeah, uh, he hadn't had a primary in the last 14 years. Yeah, so a I, little I, bit different. I think it's different. I've been engaged in the district. I've been out there with people. People know me, and you know I get guess to get right to the heart of the matter, I, it's not an attack, just facts. Uh, here we have a person who recently moved into the community and has not been involved in the community, has not been seen anywhere, planning board meetings, committee activities in the 18th Senatorial District. And for you not to know the district and come and to run for the state senate when you've been registered as a Republican your entire life from 2009 to July 10, 2017, and then you come and you you didn't vote for president. You want people to feel burned, but you didn't have time to vote. Um, then you come and register June 8, 2017 as a Democrat. So you go from true red and you go extreme left. All of a sudden, you woke up. I, you know, to me, that's a problem when... You, you don't know the community, you don't know the people in the community, and you have to speak to the entire district, not just to one segment of the district, and I think that's what's going on. Well, couldn't it be argued that the state Senate is the only house where your party affiliation doesn't matter? Because Republicans caucus with Democrats and Democrats caucus <laughs> with Republicans, so if she was a registered Republican and now she wants to be a Democrat, it seems the best house for her. I'm, well, I'm making a little bit of a joke. but I, I understand that, but I mean, um, where she comes from in Florida, which is a luxury gated community about 20 miles north of uh, Mar-a-Lago. Um, that's that's Trump country. Yeah. I put that together. Yeah. Trump country about 20 miles north, north of his golf course. I couldn't even walk in the front door. Here she's coming into our community, and she also lives in a luxury uh building in Bushwick with a doorman downstairs, and and then you're talking about uh, local folks who are being displaced, and you talk about gentrification when you're part of that wave, and, 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 and you know, that's a problem where, where you're actually the problem. You're part of the problem of why people are being forced out of this community. Those strong words. <laughs> what? So we know that you took... The, her campaign to court challenging her on the legitimacy of her residency, and the judge overturned through the case, you know, dismissed the case last week. But you said you intend to appeal. What was that case about, though? So, well, so you were saying. Yeah, I, I think the people should know what the case is about. Yeah, yeah. The, the case is actually that um, she's been a registered voter from 2009 to July 10, 2017, in. Uh, Jupiter, in Jupiter, Florida. Florida. Uh-huh. So at any time that she wanted to go back and vote in Florida, she had that ability. She, in her light driver's license, also expired in 2012. She proactively went back to Florida, West Palm Beach, Jupiter, and she renewed her driver's license. In order for you to renew your driver's license in Florida, the statutes of Florida say that you have to be a resident for 60 days. Mm-hmm. So she had to represent to the Department of Motor Vehicles that she was a res- resident of Florida. So we have um, presented to the judge that she was a registered voter all that time, up until 2017. She went back to Florida got her driver's license in Florida, never voted in New York, mm-hmm. didn't vote for president. So 
we feel that she's a resident of Florida, and we're taking it to the Court of Appeals because we felt that the judge who handled the case in the lower court did not look at the law. Uh, I don't know what he was looking at, but that case will be going back uh, to the appellate court on the 21st of this month, and then we'll expect an answer a few days afterwards. What, what is the specific law? The, I, I'm, I understand it that you have to be a resident of the state for five years, mm -hmm. and so is that sick? Is so sixty? If she allegedly spent sixty days out of state, that starts the clock over. Got it. So there's a time period that would start the clock. Yeah, and um, you know we we talked about um, her driver's license. She actively went there and, and renewed it. All the time she's lived here in New York, she could have taken that license and turned it into the Department of Voter motor vehicle and gotten a New York license. But she chose to keep her Florida's driver's license. Right. She chose to keep her voter registration in Florida. So let's say let's say that's all the case. Yeah. Is that really a good enough reason, you know, which is basically, it, it's a technicality. You, you know, is that really a good enough reason to kick her off, to, to try to get her off the ballot? And you said yourself, you've been You've been through this a, a lot. You've had uh, people uh, run against you a lot. She wants to be a state senator. She should learn how to follow the law. Uh, she should be an, an example. I mean, a judge will decide this next week. Uh -huh. um, I believe and know that uh, in the primary, the people that know me in the district will come out to vote and that I will be successful in the primary. But, you know, you come into the district, you have no record to speak of, uh, and then you come into the district to distort my record, uh, uh, the many accomplishments that, you know, we've had. I also served as a city council person for 10 years. Right. I also served on the community school board, and I was also president of the school board for seven years. And for you to just take my record and say, repeat, or whispered lies until new people in the community believe what you're saying. The people that have been there forever know what the truth is, and they know my track record, and they know that I've been there for the community. And the renaissance of the Williamsburg uh, Bushwick area would not have happened had elected officials worked together to make this happen. I was part of that movement. Uh, I think the opportunities that are there for new folks is because of the labor of those that have been around for quite a while not because of a person who is a registered Republican living in Jupiter, Florida. Are you, are you, um, have you, are you going to have any sort of public forums where you'll debate one another before the primary election or you'll, you'll, you know, discuss well, these kinds? Yeah, there's, there's talk about a debate uh, August 23rd. Oh. On I guess I'd get New York One. On New York yeah, One, okay. Yeah, you could see. Yeah. We'll, we'll allow Pat it. Pat Cannon's a friend of the show. has been on. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I've said yes. I'm willing to do it. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, uh, my opponent is also running as a Latina in, in the district because she constantly repeats that. So, yes, I want to debate her on uh, New York One, but I also want to debate her on New York One, Pura Politica, the Spanish version also. Yes. So there's transparency and the entire community can be informed. I you would think that's only fair. Uh, you could you could run uh, you could run <laughs> you could run it in, in Oh closed uh, caption. Closed caption yeah. or something like that. But yeah. Or you could have it in Spanish and run a closed caption in, in, in English. English. Yeah. Or, it goes or do it in both. I don't know. I just think that I, I've seen this a lot in, in elections, and I hate, I always hate to see that come down to, um, and even when we had Salazar on the show, I said to her, well, did you make sure you have enough uh, enough signatures? Because that's what, yeah. what always happens. So this is part of, it's part of the game. Yeah, I, I understand it, but I don't, I'll be honest, I don't like it. I think that, uh, I think that when you go after someone for for something for something like this, which is like I said, it seems like it's a technicality, uh, and I think choice in an election is a good thing. It makes you do a better job than when you're in office and when you're when you because if you don't, you you know if if there is no choice, what happens is people are just phoning it in. But you know, I I, I heard I, I heard the show where she was on, and I I heard uh, that she was asked the question, "Why did you pick this district? Why?" 
Why? Yes. Look, I mean, no, we did have we that did. question yeah. because we, we knew of her right. background. Um, because she went to college in Manhattan. She went to, everything was in Manhattan, uh, her dorms and everything. It could have been because uh, because Mr. Uh, Bernie Sanders did well in the 53rd Assembly District. Mm. Uh, it oh, was a chosen you. district. And, you know, at times I feel uh, I'm not really running against a candidate that's running against me. I'm really running against a national organization that that's chose... That's that wave I was talking that, about. Mm-hmm. That chose this... Uh, this district. district to run in because they felt maybe the, the district was right because of the changes that are occurring. But you know, we uh, she talked about her 4,000 signatures, we submitted 6,000. But after June 26, which was the federal election where Ms. Ocasio won in Queens, that created a huge momentum that uh, they try to take advantage because we did look at her petitions, the 4,000 uh, signatures. Up to June 26, she had a total of like 975 signatures, and of those, maybe 40% of them were valid. But lo and behold, starting the 27th to July 4th, all of a sudden, 3,700 signatures. Why? Because a lot of people did move over. And these are people, one, that do not live in our district, uh, two, have come from all over the state to create this momentum that something is really going on. She talks about campaign contributions. 90% of the money that she has raised is from outside the state Senate district, and most of that is from out of state. Um, She has $44,000 in unitemized contributions and lumps it all together. Where is that money coming from? We don't know. Tony, do you know? I, I'll tell you, I will be honest, none of it has come from me because I don't donate to political campaigns. But beyond go. that, I can't tell you where it's coming from. I will ask you, you know, you've served eight terms in Albany. You know, at some point, I, you know, you just, someone like me wonders, why keep going back? Like, do you? What do you feel you haven't done for your district yet? Well, I mean, you have to. It, it, you know, it sounds like a lot, but you've been at the end of this uh, term. I will be there eight years, of those rather eight terms. Of those yes. eight terms, I only serve one term in the majority. Okay. So that means there were seven terms where the Republicans were in charge, and we could not get the items that are important to our district. I think as uh, the work that we have done, there's so much unfinished business that there should be an opportunity to be part of the majority, and that's where it seems that it's going. And I would like to continue the work that I'm doing. And you know what? Um, Yes, there's an end game to everything, and and possibly that may come sooner than uh, than later. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to let someone else, a national movement, or someone who's moving in from Florida, determine when I should leave. I think that's something. It, either I decide that I'm going to leave, or the voters will decide that. Well, the voters will have a chance to decide uh, on Thursday. September. What? It's Thursday, September 13th. There you go. Two days after September 11th, I'm surprised neither of us made that connection. But yeah, I guess you know. Yeah, you, know, you look at this. There's so much going on, Tony. You look at the calendar. Who knows? You, I, know? you look out the window. And well, it looks all like it's going to. It's turned into. Yeah, it has. Uh, it's it's gonna it's get, it's getting ugly out there. Oh yeah, and I, I gotta I gotta I have to now. get my kid. As you know, he's he's coming at 3:30. So we we are running oh out of time. Oh my gosh, this is this we is were what talking happens. about it before we went on the air about how you start the show and in the blink of an eye, it's an hour later. I have one more question about the lawsuits and such. The petitions are is there a lawsuit about the petitions that she signed that no. she put in, or is there going to be? No, not on the petitions themselves. Okay, uh, we feel that. The petitions themselves on the merit, you know, they have enough signatures. But the issue is, I think it's section uh, three of this Constitution of the State of New York mm-hmm. that you have to live five continuous year and one year in the district. Uh, the one year in the district, we feel that she meets that. Uh, uh, however, there's question to the five years of her living in the state of Continuous. New York. You know, when I lived in California, I never updated my driver's license. But I also didn't vote. I lived there for Seems a year. Seems like 
that would cancel each other out. I, I also know. did. I also and didn't, you also I didn't, didn't run for office. I did not run for office while I was in California. Oh, I considered it. <laughs> I was just going to run for mayor of San Francisco. It was a tough time back then. I think you would have won, but what do I know? It was a, there was a very, believe it or not, there was a very, he wasn't a Republican, but there was a very, you know, uh, borderline Republican mayor at the time, and, and people in San Francisco were going nuts. But that's a whole different story. Listen. would have had better restaurants than Fisherman's uh, Wharf. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Fisherman's Wharf is a tourist trap. Let's just be clear. It's a tourist trap, and I would, I would steer clear. I, would, I used to hang out in, uh, in um, uh, North Beach. I used to go to a sandwich shop called Molinari's or Molinero's, one or the other, and then I'd go right across the street to, I think, St. Mary's Church, where um, Mary's. where Joe DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe got married, oh. I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah, right across the street there, and I'd hang out, and there was a park right there, and uh, it was very, really wonderful. And eat my sandwich. That was good. Those well, were good you days. You couldn't ask for more. All right, listen, we got to wrap things up, but we always give our guests the last word. So if there's something that you wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about, uh, you can go right ahead, State Senator. The mic is yours, and then we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna close it up, right, Don? We First of all, go. thank you very much again for inviting me. I, I think this was an opportunity to uh, a, a, a larger audience or an audience that it's maybe difficult for me to reach. But the most important part is that there's participation. That you come out and vote September. 13, I think, is the most in important part, and that we just move forward in our community and make it a better place for everyone. There you go. Perfectly said. Is that how we did it? Now, look, Senator I'm walking Martin over. Dillon. I'm going to do my board again. Well, I'm losing a co-host and gaining a producer right now. This is, you Vince. ready? Wait, this is it. So I want to thank dials. our guest, State Senator Martin Dillon, who's, who covers, he's got Bushwick and Williamsburg and Greenpoint. New York's 18th. That is Brooklyn paper country. It's Brooklyn paper land. As far as I'm concerned. Blue I want blue for Dems and Brooklyn. I want to thank Cypress him for... Cypress Hills, Brownsville. Yeah, Cypress Hills, Brownsville. All that. See, look, it's not easy to do this. I want to thank him. You're doing a great job. Tony, I want to thank you for doing everything that you do. I love doing it. And then some. And uh, next week, who do we have? We've got the beep. Borough President Eric Adams will be in studio. Beep in the house, and we're talking trying about, to get the mayor. He's talking about all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Everything great in Brooklyn. All right, we'll see you next week on Brooklyn Paper Radio. Bye-bye. All right, thank you.